program. Polygamy, what love is this? Every Thursday at 8 p.m. here on TV20, KTMW, Solid City. Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We uh, have live streaming video available at HOTM, for those, .tv, for those people who can't watch the show uh, through their television sets. They can go on the internet, HOTM.TV. They can watch uh, the show from streaming video from anywhere in the world. Also, you could go to... Um, uh, AM 820 KUTR The Truth, an AM radio station here in the Salt Lake Valley. And uh, 50,000 watts, that's AM 820 The Truth. And watch heart, or listen to Heart of the Matter um, here in the Salt Lake Valley if you don't like watching television or you can't get it on your television station. Also on HOTM.TV, there's 43 hour-long programs available from uh, 2006. 52 shows from 2007, 44 shows from 2008. That's 140 scathing hours of information for your uh, viewing pleasure. So go check that out. Some of you have been openly and some of you have been secretly watching Heart of the Matter for years now. Some of you have written and told us that Heart of the Matter has helped you come to a relationship with the Lord. Others let us know that they have learned a lot about Mormonism by tuning in. Before we started the ministry, we wondered aloud, what is the single most important issue every individual initially faces relative to God? Is it the church they attend? The lifestyle they embrace? Their political affiliations? No. Is it the sins they've committed? The life they've lived? The good they've done? The baptism they've received? Nope. Is it the specific doctrines or dogmas they believe or how well they know the Bible? No, at least not initially. By examining scripture, we have come to understand that the single most important issue each and every one of us faces relative to God is, do I have a new heart? Does a new spirit reside within me? Have I been born again? Take a moment right now and ask yourself this very simple question. Have I been born again? If you have, I join with you in praising God and giving thanks for this oh-so-necessary event in your spiritual life. If you haven't or if you aren't sure that you have, take a minute and let's address this situation. Now, if you have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Savior, the Redeemer, if you've gone to Him honestly seeking forgiveness for your sin, and a new life in Him, I want you to know that He honors this when you go to Him this way. Some people, when they have received the Lord's offer of salvation, are immediately and radically changed right then and there on the spot. We hear these stories all the time. They can discern a tangible change in their life right there. But for others, this knowledge of change is a graduated event. It arrives in stages depending on the person. I want you to know that if you have believed in your heart, if you believe in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are now in a place where you walk by faith. 
trusting in his promises. So my advice to you is to just prayerfully trust that he has promised you that you would be saved if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Faithfully walk according to his will and ways. Dedicate every day to him and ask him to reveal himself to you, to open your eyes and ears and heart, to know him, to have that knowing that we talk about. I promise you that God will, in his time, assure you of this certainty of salvation. So wait and trust him. Now, if you're sitting there from whatever religious background, whatever religious history, and you have never gone to God in faith, asking for new life in him, I want to extend this invitation to you here and now. If you're a family that has not been saved and you're watching the show, use this time to receive the Lord together. Go on, get ready. Together, you can do it. Fathers or mothers, look at your children and say, let's do this. Let's offer our lives. Let's go through this with him. We've been watching this show. We have never done it. Let's do it. If you're a single parent or a single person, if you're divorced, if you're an elderly person, if you're a teen, even if you're a child, if you have been in a, a religion, but you can't say that you have seriously asked the Lord to forgive you of your sin, to be born again, to have a relationship with him. Join me right here and right now, and let's do this. All right? So if you're in the listening audience, whether here in the studio or out there, if you haven't done it, you don't have to do it out loud. You can do it within the confines of your own heart. I'm going to go and just kind of pray with through what you could say. If you want to say something different, go ahead. But let's just go to the Lord and do this. Test this out. If you're LDS and you've been watching the show and you don't trust me on anything I've said, the history or anything like that, try this. See if this, if I've been honest with you in this experience, okay? So we're going to pray and I'm just going to kind of go through this with you. And if you want to join in, now's your chance. You have this opportunity. Why don't you take it and test it out? Dear Heavenly Father, God, Jesus, we come to you as sinners and we want to be forgiven of the sins that we've uh, committed. We ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want to have an eternal relationship with you, Lord. I openly receive all that you want to give me and all that you want me to receive. And I pray that you will give me a new heart. You'll give me new life a new life in you. And I ask that you will not only forgive me, Lord, but that you will become the Lord and Savior, the King, the sovereign King of my life. And Lord, I ask you that you will grant me the undeniable assurance that you have accepted and received me as I am. Bless me with this knowledge to know that I am yours. I will wait on you for this knowing, Lord. I thank you in advance for what you have promised to do. I pray for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, I want you to know that God heard your heart speaking if you went to him and just thought on these things. If you truly want it, he heard your heart. And he will be faithful to his promise. This is why his son came to earth, to save us, to save you. So wait on him now and trust him. Begin each day saying, Lord, I, I believe this. I'm trying this. Show me now. And you will begin to see him reveal himself in ways that you had never seen before. This I can promise you, having experienced it myself and knowing many, many, many people who have experienced it and have had radical life change. And so with that, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, for the airwaves, for the station, for the volunteers, for the people who are um, supporters of the show, and for your spirit. We ask that you'll be with us now here in the audience, viewing audience or live audience, anywhere people are viewing, whether they do it live or somewhere on a recorded show. We just pray that your spirit will teach us truth. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a few things that truly distinguish members of the LDS Church from people of other faiths or non-faiths. The practice and doctrine of polygamy and plural marriage seems to reign supreme in the minds of people everywhere. 
Wearing temple garments is another one, as is having those extra books of scripture that the LDS carry around, but perhaps the most widely observed difference to the outside world is that LDS or faithful LDS avoid using tobacco products, alcohol, coffee, tea, or harmful drugs unless they're prescribed by a licensed physician. Within Mormonism itself, the command for abstaining from these things came from a revelation to Joseph Smith who claimed he claimed to receive, and it's known as the Word of Wisdom, and it's found in section 89 of their uh, canonical book called The Doctrine and Covenants. In my experience, most Latter-day Saints use obedience to the Word of Wisdom as the primary indicator of an individual's righteousness whether they are LDS or not, but especially if they're LDS. What is determined obedience to the word of wisdom is a relative matter in Mormonism. To some, obedience means abstaining from everything I've mentioned, but also including cola drinks, Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, meat, and eating lots of grain, fruits, and vegetables, and preferably if you grind your own grain, then you're even more observant of the word of wisdom than others. To other people in the church, there's a variety of word of wisdom commitments. Drinking alcohol is always forbidden by Mormons, uh, as is using tobacco in any way, shape, or form, but everything else is sort of an open-end game. Like most things LDS, there are countless applications and countless interpretations of the word of wisdom. But one thing can be said with certainty. Obedience to the word of wisdom is a badge of honor worn proudly on the sleeve of every single compliant believer. At the risk of sounding kind of sarcastic, obedience to the word of wisdom, especially to LDS youth and teens and horrifically naive parents, usually young mothers, is perhaps more important than having a living and abiding faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be criticized for saying this, but it is evident that there, uh, I think there is evidence to support this claim because more often than not, Latter-day Saints will identify themselves by what they won't or don't smoke or drink or won't uh, than whom they place their faith in. You'll hear them say, you know, I, there's a t-shirt that was out that said, I, I can't, I'm Mormon. You know, it, it, that's what it said. I can't, I'm Mormon. Instead of, I won't, I'm, I believe in Jesus, it's I can't, I'm Mormon, you know. I wish we could somehow pull active and faithful Latter-day Saints and ask questions like, can a person who drinks coffee go to heaven? How about tea, beer, wine, whiskey, opium? Or would, what would please God more? A man who drinks coffee in the morning and drinks wine at night and truly loves and serves his neighbors and God, or a man who would never be caught dead touching alcohol or cigarettes or coffee or tea, but is kind of a control freak. I would like to ask parents if they would rather have a teenager who smoked like a chimney but read the word and loved the Lord and others, or a teen who obeyed the word of wisdom, served a mission, and always tried to go to church but was sort of mean and gossipy and pious. Based on my experience in teaching early morning seminary in California, I think the results of such a survey would be shocking. Now don't get your neckties all twisted up over this. I think that making healthy choices can be a blessing to people, and I think Christians are under similar obligation to try and care for the bodies God has given them. Avoiding tobacco is probably and always a very good thing. Uh, abusing alcohol and drugs is usually not a good thing. Um, I say usually because if I had open heart surgery, I would abuse the drugs to no end until the pain was gone. Coffee, tea, whatever, I don't know. But with the exception of red wine, maybe, which I don't drink, and green teas, I happen to think the advice in the Word of Wisdom is in and of itself wise, and anyone who chooses to follow would probably live a healthier life. Probably. So what's the big deal here? Can't I just leave this little segment of Mormonism alone? Can't I possibly, here on the show, applaud Joseph Smith for giving good advice on health and living? No way. In 
In fact, the more I have endeavored to examine the word of wisdom, the more insidious this thing has become. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about why. I think you'll be surprised to hear and learn some of these things. I was. I want to thank my good friend and Christian sister, Sandra Tanner, for, for supplying me with some excellent information on the topic, as well as numerous other researchers who have taken the time to find out the truth over the myth. I would recommend her book, Mormonism, Shadow or Reality, It's Superb. Okay, you ready? There are seven general areas we're going to cover regarding the Word of Wisdom. Tonight we're going to look at the LDS claims that the Word of Wisdom is evidence that Joseph was an inspired prophet well ahead of his time and that of scientific evidence. We're also going to look at the setting for which this revelation called the Word of Wisdom came to be. Next week, we're going to examine how committed Joseph Smith was to the Word of Wisdom himself and the evolution of the enforcement of the Word of Wisdom, uh, what evolutionary changes uh, the Word of Wisdom have over, uh, undergone uh, up to the present. The following week, we're going to look at whether the Word of Wisdom is doctrine or not based on what LDS consider doctrine, how the LDS church has altered church history so as to remove unpleasant facts about the abuse of the word of wisdom by prominent members of the church. And then three weeks from now, we will look at the Bible and how it stands on such doctrines as the word of wisdom. Following that, we're going to get into our review of General Conference October because now it is available and I'll have the time to get to it. Okay. First, let's look at the historical evidence of health movements that existed prior to the coming forth of the word of wisdom in that era of time. Latter-day Saints love to claim that the existence of the word of wisdom is great evidence that Joseph Smith was divinely inspired because, according to them, he revealed it in 1833, well before modern science knew the dangers of alcohol and tobacco, or coffee, or tea, and even meat. Before providing evidence to the contrary, I'm going to take the time on this show alone to read the Word of Wisdom. It's not that long given February 27th, 1833 at Kirtland, Ohio. It says, A word of wisdom for the benefit of the council of high priests assembled in Kirtland and the church and also the saints in Zion. To be sent, to be sent greeting, not by commandment or constraint, but by revelation and the word of wisdom showing forth the order and will of God in the temporal salvation of all saints in the last days given for a principle with a promise, adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints. Now that's the preface Joseph Smith himself gave uh, to the word of wisdom. Verse 4, Behold, verily thus saith the Lord unto you, In consequence of evil and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days, I have warned you and forewarned you by giving unto you this word of wisdom by revelation, that inasmuch as any man drinketh wine or strong drink among you, behold, it is not good, neither meet in the sight of your father, only in assembling yourselves together to offer up your sacraments before him. And behold, this should be wine, yea, pure wine of the grape of the vine of your own make. And again, strong drinks are not for the belly, but for the washing of your bodies. And again, tobacco is not for the body, neither for the belly, and it is not good for man, but it is an herb for, herb for bruises and all sick cattle to be used with judgment and skill. And again, hot drinks are not for the body or belly. And again, verily I say unto you, all wholesome herbs God hath ordained for the constitution, nature, and use of man. Every herb in the season thereof and every fruit in the season thereof, all these to be used with prudence and thanksgiving. Yea, flesh also of beasts and of the fowls of the air, I, the Lord, have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly. And it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter or of cold or famine. And grain is ordained for the use of man and of beasts to be the staff of life, not only for man, but for the beasts of the field, the fowls of the heaven, and all wild animals that run and creep on the earth. And these hath God made for the use of man only in times of famine and excess of hunger. 
All grain is good for the food of man. Also the fruit of the vine, which has yielded fruit, whether in the ground or above the ground. Nevertheless, wheat for man, corn for the ox, oats for the horse, rye for the fowls and for the swine, and for all beasts of the field, and barley for, the use of, for all useful animals, and for mild drinks, and also other grain. And all saints, remember to keep and do these things, walking in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel and marrow to their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. And I, the Lord, give unto them a promise that the destroying angels, angels shall pass by them as the children of Israel and not slay them. Amen. That is the word of wisdom from that the Latter-day Saints have today. Uh, they abstain from alcohol, all alcohol, co uh, beer, wine, strong drink, any kind of alcohol, tobacco products, chew, snuff, cigarettes, cigars, uh, and coffee and tea. And that is how they have interpreted hot drinks. When I was a kid, I remember countless of discussions about how Joseph was told by God the evils of the world that would come before uh, uh, they understood science, that nobody knew what caffeine was, nobody knew that smoking could hurt you, nobody knew that tea had that dastardly stuff called tannin in it. I remember as a kid learning this over and over about how this was evidence that Joseph was so inspired. I've come to see that issues related to health were actually a hot and growing topic in the early 19th century. Writer Lester E. Bush reported that, quote, it is relevant to recall that from a few thousand advocates in the late 1820s, the American Temperance Society had grown to well over a million members by 1834. This was in the United States, which had not spread out west by a long shot. He also wrote the leaders of the movement were most often clergymen. What people ate, drank, and how they cared for their body was a topic within the body of Christ before Joseph Smith was even born. In the century prior to Joseph Smith's revelation, John Wesley's Primitive Physic, a book, vigorously condemned all sorts of things that are found in the Word of Wisdom, including, quote, strong drink. According to Bush, Sylvester Graham, the guy who invented the graham cracker, and Dr. William Alcott crusaded strongly against stimulants like coffee, tea, and meats. You have to understand that everything at that time, because there really was no modern science, was considered a stimulant. And, and, and so they would kind of categorize these things, and this was too strong of a stimulant, or not strong enough of a stimulant. Even alcohol was considered what they called a stimulant. When Joseph Smith was in Carthage jail before he was shot, they brought wine in, which they drank, and, and it says, quote, they drank it because their spirits were down and they wanted to revive themselves. All this stuff is centered around the idea of a stimulant, okay? If you became ill, it was because you had too much stimulant in you. Often food consumption was related to the time of season by which crusaders of health by these crusaders of health, which in my opinion made Joseph's revelation on the subject just another long list of plagiarisms. You know, he talked about the seasons and the fruit, and you read this in Doctrine and Covenants 89. This stuff was talked about forever. Where Joseph Smith said God told him flesh only in times of winter or cold or famine and every herb in the season thereof, one Dr. Tickner wrote in his book, The Philosophy of Living at that time, quote, and, only, and not only is animal food proper in winter and during the heat of summer, nature, nature has given a variety of succulent vegetables and fruits. But the popular topics of the day that became revelations in Joseph's mind didn't end with meat and vegetables. Eliminating tea and coffee from the American diet was another health reformist cause at that time too, especially if these drinks were served hot. Speaking of hot coffee and tea, Andrew Combe in Physiology of Digestion, which was published in 1836, wrote, when made very strong or taken in large quantity, especially late in the evening, they not only ruin the stomach, but very seriously derange the health of the brain and nervous system. I recite these quotes so that you can hear for yourself 
that opinions on substances like alcohol, tobacco, coffee, tea, and meat were frequently the topic in Joseph Smith's day and age, and to show how his revelations were right on target with which the most vocal health advocates were claiming. Even John Wesley in the previous century warned that coffee and tea were, quote, extremely harmful to those with weak nerves. For centuries, tobacco, which was referred to as the weed, <laughs> I had to laugh through it, was used for all sorts of concoctions and poultices. Uh, researchers going back as far as 1633 were able to locate the word of wisdom notion that tobacco could be used as an herb for bruises. This was mentioned in the word of wisdom too. Just another example of good old Joseph taking current events around him and transforming them into convenient revelations from God. Now, admittedly, it was thought for some time that smoking tobacco would help cure things or protect you against things like the Black Plague. But by 1830, a strong anti-tobacco lobby had begun to take root, which was all part of the popular health reform movement that began in New England and spread all the way to Ohio, where Joseph lived for quite a while. This health reform movement was spearheaded by people like the aforementioned Sylvester Graham, Graham Cracker guy, Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventist fame, the Kellogg family, yes, the Tony the Tiger Kellogg guy, same family, and C.W. Post, the Grape Nut family people. These health reformers condemned, condemned before Joseph ever spoke it, Alcohol, tobacco, tea, coffee, opium, and other stimulants, including meat, well before God told Joseph his opinion on the matter. In the book, The Burned Over District by Whitney R. Cross, which is a great read, by the way, he writes, quote, The temperance movement was larger in every dimension than the burned over district altruism. It began much earlier and has not yet ended. During the 1830s, it attained national scope. Further, if alcohol was evil because it frustrated the Lord's design on the human body, other drugs like tea, coffee, and tobacco must have been equally wrong. Josiah Bessel, the pioneer line altruist, had even before 1831 revival got beyond temperance to the cold water society and said no tea, coffee, or any other slops. That's from the Burned Over District, New York, 1965, page 211 through 212. So while the advice found in the Word of Wisdom may have some basis, some, why uh, doesn't the LDS Church recite a true context of the revelation, quote-unquote revelation, that Joseph Smith said was so divinely inspired? Why don't, they, why don't they tell us that this was the condition of the nation at the time instead of saying that he was the only one who knew that coffee or tea or alcohol or tobacco could be dangerous? When we come back, we're going to talk about how the so-called revelation actually came into play. I hope you're thinking about these things. Again, not to say avoiding those things are bad, but to say, really, was it so ingenious to put it in and say it was a revelation from God? We'll be right back. Welcome back. So how did the word of wisdom come into play? This is an interesting part. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please have a question or a comment, short, brief. And uh, first-time callers, we'd love you. LDS callers, love to hear your thoughts. Um, So call, but let's talk about quickly... um, 
the setting of how the word of wisdom came to be. The church history admits the setting pretty generally. In the preface to the Doctrine and Covenants section 89, it states, As a consequence of the early brethren using tobacco in their meetings, the prophet was led to ponder upon the matter. Consequently, he inquired of the Lord concerning it. This revelation, known as the Word of Wisdom, was the result. The first three verses were originally written as an inspired introduction and description by the prophet. Brigham Young, however, in Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 158, adds a little more information to the cue when he said, quote, I think I am as well acquainted with the circumstances which led to the giving of the word of wisdom as any man in the church. So humble, that Brigham, I tell you. Although I was not present at the time to witness them, the first school of the prophets was held in a small room situated over the prophet's kitchen. When they assembled together in this room after breakfast, the first thing they did was light their pipes and while smoking, talked about the great things of the kingdom and spit all over the room. And as soon as the pipe was out of their mouths, a large chew of tobacco would then be taken. Often when the prophet entered the room to give the school instructions, he would find himself in a cloud of tobacco smoke. This and the complaints of his wife at having to clean so filthy a floor, made the prophet think on the matter, and he inquired of the Lord relating to the conduct of the elders in using tobacco, and the revelation known as the word of wisdom was the result of this inquiry. Couldn't Joseph Smith just have asked the guys to not do that in the house? Did he have to say the Lord came up with this? Did he have to do that with everything? Interestingly, David Whitmer, who was one of the witnesses to the Book of Mormon, gave other insights to the revelation, and these insights were printed in the Des Moines Daily News on Saturday, October 16, 1886. Whitmer said, Joseph's wife, Emma, said, It would be a good thing if a revelation could be had declaring the use of tobacco a sin and commanding its suppression. The matter was taken up and joked about between the brethren, suggesting that the revelation should also provide for that total abstinence from coffee and tea drinking intended as a counter to dig back at the sisters. Sure enough, the subject was afterward taken up in dead earnest, and the word of wisdom was the result. Convenient revelations, which were often tied and even plagiarized from current events, are located throughout most, almost all, of Joseph Smith's work. From the Book of Mormon to much of the Doctrine and Covenants to Sweden, Emanuel Swedenborg's uh, view on e the eternality of matter, pre-existent life, all of this stuff borrowed, plagiarized, regurgitated, thrown back out as thus saith the Lord. Next week we'll continue to examine how committed Joseph Smith himself was to this convenient revelation he came up with. We have Chris on line two from Logan. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I just wanted to point out that uh, in the second verse, if you notice that it says the, uh, that revelation is given neither by commandment nor constraint. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, the, it was a revelation given to Joseph Smith, but he even points out, you know, in the... In the uh, uh, before he lists all the stuff about the revelation, that it's not a commandment, and it's not supposed to, you know, neither you're by constraint yeah. means it's not supposed to be used against people, especially the people like they want to go to the temple or whatever. I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, it's a great point. We're going to talk about it next, uh, two weeks from now, about what the church has done, how when Joseph gave it, it wasn't by commandment or constraint, how later it was added to the Doctrine and Covenants, which supposedly made it uh, official doctrine, but the official doctrine said it's not by commandment or constraint, and then how the church has over time made it this this badge, this symbol for Mormonism worldwide. And it's amazing what they've done with it. So a great point. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Matthew in Salt Lake City. Matthew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm, I'm good. How are you? Hey, listen, you just touched on a pet peeve of mine, and that is the holier-than-thou attitude that, that most Mormons, the vast majority of Mormons, 
have about the word of wisdom. It's a, it, it is much more important to most of them than the Ten Commandments, than the Lord. Yeah. Then it, it, and and what, what bothers me the most about it is they, they, they just seem to, seem to want to, it's a badge of honor for them. Yeah. And it, it you know, I, I have to believe that people that follow the word of wisdom are typically probably more healthy than those that don't. Right. That doesn't mean that Christ doesn't love you as a person because you want a Budweiser once in a while or you drink a cup of coffee. And the sooner they can, can figure these things out, the, the sooner that uh, they, they will realize that they are not the one true church. Oh, I know. There's of so, all of us, there's, not people that never drink iced tea. It doesn't work that way. I know. Isn't it amazing? There's so many passages where Jesus says, it's not what you take in. It's what comes out from the heart that matters. There's so many passages, especially Romans chapter 14. I think it's 14. We're going to read it. It's um, or four. It's amazing what it talks about, what you take or what you eat or what you do. It has nothing to do with it. Now, yeah, there's wisdom in it. Absolutely. In fact, the managers of the station, the, the female portion of it, she's maniacal on health issues. She makes a Mormon look like a, a gutter drunk. But... Uh, but still, and she's a great Christian. So, you know, but there's liberty, you know? She doesn't bother me that I'm asking for more Heineken in this thing tonight. You know, no, hey, not hey, at listen, all. in all seriousness, I, I'm assuming that was a joke, but in all seriousness, I've been a vegetarian for, last what, 14 years. Wow. I, I don't lord that over people. I don't think that makes me a better person. It might make me a little more healthy than some people. I don't know. The point is, that is a personal choice I've made, and I don't think God is going to pat me on the head and say, nice going, you didn't do chicken McNuggets for the last 20 years of your life. I, yeah, who knows? That's a great but, attitude, Matthew. I, you know, I appreciate that bringing up the vegetarianism because that in and of itself can be a religion to people, and you practice it. Hats off to you. I kind of wish I could. And, and good, but you don't make other people feel... Uh, less worthy before God because of it. Well, I, I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. I'll let you get on with the show. Thanks. Anyways, I'll be uh, interested in watching the next few weeks and uh, to hear your take on it. Have a good night, Sean. Thanks, Matthew. Bye-bye. We're going to Vern in Logan, first-time caller. Hey, Vern. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Yeah, howdy. So uh, you're on the air, my friend. All right. Well, I've uh, been having this lively debate with uh, my family this past week on Proposition 8 over in California. Woo! I just wanted to get your opinion on it. You know what? Um, I have got myself in trouble on political issues on the show. Uh-huh. And I, I, I'm not going to comment on it at all, I, uh, Vern. I'll talk to you privately about it. I think you can quickly and easily, uh, uh, well, maybe you can't guess how I would vote on that if I was ever in town to vote. But I can't talk about it on the air. We've actually been had the IRS investigate our ministry because of my big fat mouth. Oh. So I, I, I can't do it, my friend, but thank you. All right. Well, I'll send you an email maybe. Okay, be good. Okay, bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. We're going to Michael in Ogden on line two. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Yeah. Um, is this Sean? It is. Hey, Sean. Yeah. Um, I've got a, a quick question about... First off, the the word of wisdom, um, like he said, I don't think it was just popular opinion, like just like the Civil War thing prediction yeah. he made, and uh, you know supposedly the revelation he had about the Civil War starting in South Carolina, but Joseph, but um, what I wonder about is, you were a Mormon for many many years, and I'm just curious, and I hate to say it this way, but I'm just going to be blunt. Yeah. It seems to me that most LDS people, uh, members seem to be naive. They don't want to look outside their religion. They don't want to research. They don't want to do any of these things. Uh, they say, I've got, you know, I've got what I've got. I prayed about it. And, and I've even been told before, um, when I read the Book of Mormon and pray about it, you know, as they, as they suggest, and then when I didn't feel this feeling that they said I was supposed to have, um, that it was true, then it wasn't time. So I'll just get off and uh, let you uh, talk about that, Sean. Thanks, okay, well, uh, I love your show. But, uh, really quickly, Michael, yeah. uh, so what's the question exactly then? The, the, the question exactly is, um, um, I think that 
the LDS people in general, when it comes to their religion, are naive because they don't want to do any research outside of their religion. Yeah. Okay, let me comment on it. Thanks so much, Michael. Yeah, without a doubt. And there's a number of reasons for that. You know, um, there are benefits to being LDS that um, compared to any other organization in the world, I'm talking about institution, earthly institutions, you know, it, it's beneficial. They have gyms in every church. They have good organization. They got a lot of money. Uh, they're clean living. They're, they focus on the family. And so when you have all that going for you, you say to yourself, I'm really comfortable here. Why would I look outside at something else? Because everything else I see doesn't seem to really match up. And so you just kind of equate it that way. The other reason is they are told do not read things that are not um, LDS authorized. Only teach out of our manuals. Only teach our history of the church. That doesn't include quotes like what Brigham Young will say uh, that we read here on the air. And so they have that going against them too. And then there's that, uh, there's that fear that uh, their whole life, their family, their job, their community, everything is involved and revolves around this religion. And to, to look at something that says, wait, I might be wrong, is just too frankly terrifying for them. I run into it all the time here in town. I, I bump into people. They recognize me. I start to open my mouth, and it's like someone put a ghost over their face. They're just like... Devil! He's behind me! I mean, it's just terrifying to him, you know? So, but, so we challenge you to just open up and look, research. Go to utlm.org. Go to utlm.org and just pick a subject, any subject. It's categorized on this. Pick one and just read about it and just see. Have I been following something my whole life that without thought... You know, we got we to gotta search things out to know the truth. Okay, we're going to Barbie in Hagerstown, Maryland. First time caller. Barbie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Barbie. How are you? I'm well. How are you? John. This is? Oh, good. Well, I just um, was calling because I wanted to say something positive. Okay. Um, my parents actually used to be missionaries in Utah to the Mormons when I was a little kid. Oh. And um, it was just a really tough ministry. And um, just in the past few weeks, like about a couple weeks ago, me and my mom went to Palmyra, New York. And we were, like, going undercover in the visitor center and <laughs> looking at all their stuff and everything. And um, the Lord just started, like, really working in my heart about Mormons and um, giving me, like, a desire to just find out more information and stuff and I found I came across you on the internet and it's just um my family we're just so excited about what's going down in Utah and how God is just um working and moving and um everything he's doing and we just know that he's using you and your ministry and the other ministers there in a mighty way and we're praying for you and praying for your protection and I'm even praying for John I'm like so burdened for him that he'll find the Lord. You hear that, John? I know you're watching. Do you hear Barbie? Out in Maryland, they're praying for you. Hey, Barbie. Yeah. Uh, the success that we're having, uh, whatever success it might be, thank God, is, uh, of course, uh, him. He's harvesting the fruit your parents did so many years before. I mean, it's like, it's like I mentioned Sandra, Gerald and Sandra Tanner. I mentioned yeah. many of the pastors who have been here for 15 years. They have been yeah. planning, and, and you, they did the work. So my hat is off to them. Thank them for, for us on behalf of our ministry. Well, my dad actually passed away back in um, January, and so it's been interesting just how this new burden has been opening up for me. Wow. And, um, and just that was one. I mean, it's just neat. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like the Lord has been hearing people praying for so many years, yeah. and and He's starting to open up the truth of this. So praise you know. God! Thanks so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. God bless you. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Yeah, you know, and I don't say that just uh, flippantly. You know, not only the people who are in ministry, the Christians who have been in this state, uh, they've been praying for decades for things to change. Uh, the fact that we've been on the air, that the, the station hasn't burned down, or I haven't been assassinated, it's a different time. If I was doing this during Brigham Young's uh, age, it would have not been the same outcome. So, you know, there's been a lot of people, hundreds, thousands of people who have sacrificed for the message of Jesus Christ to get to the state who have gone unrecognized without a pat on the back 
and they are really truly the ones, the unsung heroes who I know the Lord uh, sees and will bless abundantly like uh, Barbie's father who is now with him uh, in heaven. Bruce in Salt Lake City. Bruce, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, sir. How you doing? Well, you? Good. Sean? Yes. I, uh, thanks for taking my call. Just had a couple of thoughts. Yes. Um, I, uh, I'm not sure that it's of primary importance that we wear our, I'm LDS, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think it's primary importance that we wear our badge of courage that we follow the word of wisdom. I don't think it's as primary importance as you, as you said. Well, I hope not, but I, I, in yeah, my I mean, opinion, I it is. the inner cup and the outer cup. You know, yeah. the word of wisdom is obviously an outer cup kind of thing. I wish that was all I had to deal with was the outer cup, you know? Yeah. Well, it, the, the problem is, though, Bruce, if what I'm saying is incorrect, then if you ask somebody outside of Utah or maybe even inside, uh, describe the Latter-day Saints, the first thing they're going to say is probably something about polygamy. And the second thing is that they don't drink and don't smoke, you know, and they don't drink coffee or tea. The, 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 those things. Are, and so... If they know that so readily, they don't know anything else, but they know that about you, then it seems to me that the LDS have perpetrated that out to the public better than anything else. Well, just because it's an identifying mark that, that we wear uh, blue headdresses and everybody knows it, I don't think that that means that anything's been perpetrated. It's just an obvious fact. Well, the, the problem with the, the comparison with the blue headdress is the blue headdress is something that's worn outwardly. And I made the comparison that the word of wisdom is worn like a badge of honor. And so that's something you do inwardly. No, no, no. That's, that is one of the most outward things that we do do. I've, been, I, I've sat next to people that have been drinking in meetings. I've been invited to invite smokers. I have invited smokers to sacrament meeting, and don't worry if you're smoking. That's, that's such an outward thing at times. It's, 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 it's one of the most outward things. Yeah. There's uh, a lot more things that go on inwardly that are far more dangerous than drinking and smoking. But, and but the question I have, Bruce, is like you said, if you go to the dinner party and people are drinking and all around you and you don't, do you just say, oh, no, I don't care to drink or I, I don't want to drink? Or do you say, I don't drink because I'm a Mormon? I say, no, thanks. Yeah, because most people would, would add, I'm a Mormon somehow into that. Well, I say, no, thanks. Because at that point, it is an inward thing. Yeah. But, but when you ask me why, I, I might tell you I might not. But can, I get an I honest, can I get an honest opinion from you? Yeah, sure. What happens to somebody who's uh, in the LDS church, active, so to speak, and they start smoking and they come smelling of smoke? How are they treated? By me? No, by the general populace. Well, see, that's a hard question to answer because... If I ask you the same kind of question, you're going to have to give the same answer I, you want me to give you because people are kind of stupid most of the time. I, I want the truth of what, you think, what your opinion is. Just give me your opinion of how the general populace would treat somebody who reeks of smoke that was considered active in the church. The general populace does not represent the church. Who does? The church. And they would tell that there's instruction that nobody should be turned away or treated indifferently. We are all the same, and that is the correct response to somebody who yeah. starts drinking and smoking. May, they might be ostracized, but that is the incorrect okay. response. One more question for you. If, uh, does, if somebody were smoking and who uh, didn't stop smoking, uh, would, they go, would they be able to live with God in the celestial kingdom? I believe... This is not what, church doctrine. I do but not what does the church say? Not, not you, but what is the doctrine? The, 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 if you deny the word of the if you distance yourself from the spirit by smoking, by smoking, you might miss out on opportunities. But your final judgment is up to God to decide. Yeah, well, we, we know that the final judgment is up to God to decide, but I, I'm glad you prefaced it with that very... Very gentle, but very revealing line, Bruce, because uh, you're not, by smoking, you are not denying yourself the spirit. Because, because, let me ask you, what's worse, smoking or having a lustful thought, Bruce? Exactly. That is my point. Yeah. That's the inner cup versus the outer cup. Which is worse? The lustful thought is by far worse. Okay, and so you're saying that by smoking, you're, you're going to 
you're going to really actually it's I not even potentially it's not it's not even potentially it's absolutely because if you don't obey the word of wisdom you can't go to the temple and if you can't go to the temple you can't get the new and everlasting covenant nor receive the endowments and so you can't go to live with God in the celestial kingdom so it isn't even an abstract concept it's a concrete fact that you have to obey Joseph's word of wisdom in order to live with God and see this is the whole problem this is why this show exists it's because that stuff is absolutely unbiblical. I, I was just wanting to say that I don't believe it's of primary importance I know. that that badge of honor be worn. Good, I know good. people who are smokers and drinkers, and my estimation of them is not diminished. You're a good man, Bruce. God bless you. Uh, one more question, sir, please. Yes. Are you there? I am. Um, I'm not convinced that uh, having an opinion with current affairs constitutes a convenience in, in making a scriptural policy. If, I, if everybody should be wearing blue headdresses, and everybody thinks they should, and I pray and I get an answer that says, yes, the Lord wants you to wear blue headdresses, uh-huh. that doesn't mean it wasn't a real revelation. That's fine, but why don't they give us the, uh, the full picture of the historical environs of the time instead of acting like Joseph received a revelation that really nobody had ever really considered before. I think that's the folklore of the general populace building that up. I see. The church is pretty honest in saying Emma was tired of cleaning it up and suggested it. Like you say, they're almost out there with it. You read journal discourses, you've got the whole story. Yeah. Okay, man, thanks so much. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we're going to uh, Mark on line two. Mark from Salt Lake City, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, thank you. Uh, when you were reading the Word of Wisdom, you mentioned a mild drink made of... Barley. Barley. And uh, beer has always been known as a drink of temperance. Could it be he was referring to beer as opposed to strong drink? Absolutely. Uh, I'm certain he was referring that beer was okay. Okay. Second point is the fellow Mike with the accent, the interesting accent, that was talking about Mormons being sheltered. Yes. I feel quite guilty of that myself and a lot of my Christian friends. I hate to criticize Mormons for something that we do a lot of in the Christian community. We and do. my friends at Calvary Chapel do it all the time, it seems like. Well, it's not just Calvary. It's, it's everywhere. And I would agree. You know, people in, in religion, really, um, they do that. You, you put the blinders on and you start trudging ahead because you don't want to think about the things that make it difficult. So I would agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. My last point is it seems like the Bible uses Proverbs as God's words of, word of wisdom, which points to Jesus, our wisdom. And yeah. uh, that's a good word, I think. That's Proverbs. a good one. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Hey, thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Samuel in Salt Lake City. Samuel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Samuel. I'd like the names of the person or those persons who claim they are better than others by keeping the word of wisdom. You. And if they insist that they're better, I'll give them a what for, and I'm not one of them. Give them a what for, they'll make them want to take some beer to calm down. You're going you're to inflict the punishment, are you, Samuel? That sounds, <laughs> sounds like a good Mormon uh, effort there. No, no right and good and faithful LDS should ever think they're better than anybody else, no matter what commandments they keep. Uh, Samuel, you know, I, I, I hate it when we talk about theory versus the practicality versus the reality. Well, the practicality and reality doesn't make a church. You know, it does make a church. It makes the, it makes the LDS church in this state. And this is part of the onus that, that people in this state who are not LDS have with many of the LDS around them is this look down their nose, we're superior to you, I wear holy garments. I'm sorry, I know it's painful and you think I'm being critical. I'm speaking just what the general consensus is. That's just how it is, Samuel. Well, and how they act can make a church, then we've got to blame Peter and some of the other guys in the New Testament I, I do not think that the doctrine that are taught in the Word of Wisdom or these other things of wearing these uh, garments and all this stuff has anything to do with uh, the Pauline epistles or Peter or anybody else. Well, I think it all stems from Joseph. I'm not trying to make a connection. I'm just trying to show that, that there's people in the Bible 
that will make the church look bad because of how they act. Well, but we're not talking about the exception here. We're talking about the rule. No, I'm just saying uh, it, it should not be broadcast that LDS think they're good by keeping the word of wisdom. That's totally wrong. I, I don't think it's totally wrong. I think it's totally right. And so, you know, and... and, and we'll make up for it if I tell you that I, you're probably better than I am, that I'm a bigger sinner than you are. No, because it would... Well, are we going to out each other here? No, you're not, Samuel. Even though I keep the word of wisdom and try to obey the commandments in the Bible, I bet I'm a worse sinner than you are. Golden Meir said, stop being so humble. You're not that great. You know, there's... there's, oh, there's... I'm just saying that to try and put it in perspective. Okay, Samuel, I don't want to get into a but, whatever I, kind of contest they call that. Official teachers. What? I've been taught by official teachers in the church. Yeah. They're no better than anybody else. And, and you and know better. Wait a minute. What did you just say? What did you just say, Samuel? I've been taught by teachers that we should not think that we're better than anybody else. Well, uh, you know, if you, if you believe in anything that Jesus said, of course you're going to teach that. But here's the rub. Don't you see what I'm trying to say? The official stance can say one thing, but how does all this stuff translate down to the people and their outward actions? Yes, um, unfortunately it may translate bad, but it should not be established as our creed that we believe that. Oh, I don't think that you believe, I don't think that's a creed. No, I don't think there's, well. Talk I, as if it were. Well, I think, you know, just like that quote from Brigham Young. I don't think there's a man in the church who knows this better than I do. I know I hear this kind of attitude of pride that comes through, and it might not even be intentional, and they think they're being humble, but there's this arrogance that does come through. I'm sorry, it comes from the root of the tree. This is the nature of human nature and not judge based on how people act. Human nature will always make things look bad. That, okay. All right, Samuel, thanks for the call. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Listening to what I said and not doing it anymore. Not doing what anymore? Telling people that we think we're good because we obey the word of wisdom. You do? Oh, everybody. <laughs> I'll see ya. Bye. Bye. We're going to Eileen, first-time caller from Taylorsville. Eileen, you don't have much time. One minute. Eileen? Uh-huh. You only have one minute, my dear. Okay. You're on the air. Don't watch the TV, Eileen. Okay. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hi, I'm sorry. Hey, um, my husband came home from work today. Uh-huh. He, uh, he told me that uh, he heard on the way home from work that the Death Star from Star Wars is real. They found it out in space. Have you heard that? <laughs> no. I, I haven't heard that. Yeah, he said, you, you just have to remember, just read George Lucas' books, and it'll be out there. Did you hear our discussion on the Word of Wisdom tonight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what really what he's talking. We have an astronomer here. Anything you know on that, Ken? We have a, a really good astronomer in here, and he's shaking his head. So um, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, okay. I don't know how much time is left. But... Not much, but thank you so much for the call. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Death Star. Uh, well, God bless you guys. I hope that uh, we can continue on these next three weeks and you'll hear out all the aspects, all the angles, everything that goes into the Word of Wisdom and, and see exactly what you think of it after we make the presentation. You can get mad at me, whatever you want. Check the facts, utlm.org. And uh, also go to www.calvarycampus.org. Dot com for information about church services if you aren't attending church now. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my.
gonna break my rusty cage.